Hi, Kay. Hey, Lo. How are you? Good. How are you? Hey, horror, wine, and crime fam. What's up? I'm excited to be here today. Me too. Um, we're going to do a little something different today. Um, I picked the story and KK picked the story for you. But we don't know what each other picked and we're going to tell it to each other and just uh, kind of go with it as you audience members would go with it with each other. Yeah, so you will get our real raw reactions to each other's stories, uh, which is kind of a fun, cool twist to the stories since like that we normally tell since we usually know what we're talking about. Um, but since we're doing something a little different for this episode today, we are also drinking a little bit differently today. We are switching it up from our normal wine to some Malibu splash drinks. Yes. And they're delish. <laughs> story today I picked his name is Lawrence Singleton and the victim is Mary Vincent I'm so, excited it's a ride girl Ooh, buckling up <laughs> in 1978 Mary Vincent who was 15 years old at the time she was a normal teenage girl and she was mostly a good girl but there were some things going on um, she wanted to be a dancer competitively, not pole. <laughs> well, then <laughs> you added that. <laughs> I just wanted to be clear. Um, so, in September 29th, 1978, Mary had planned to run away. She was going to go to her grandparents' house because her parents are going through a divorce, and I think she just wanted to out of the drama. She just wanted a night out away from her parents, so she decided... <laughs> She was going to hitchhike to her grandfather's house Hmm. Um, instead of her house in Berkeley, California. That's where she lived with her parents. So Mary makes the signs heading south, and she's standing with a group of people when a blue van pulls up. Now, this van is empty. Like, there's nothing in the back of it. There's totally empty. Why is it always vans? I don't know what's about to happen, but vans. It's always vans. So... Um, Lawrence pulls over and proceeds to say there is only room for one. Now, she's standing with a group of people and they're like, Mary, don't go. Like, red flags. Like, his van is completely empty and if he can't take a few of us, you shouldn't go alone. Yeah. So they're, you know, insisting that she doesn't go. Mary, um, is so naive and so young. Again, she's 15. And she now chooses the path that will forever shape her future. I'm scared. I'm scared. So she goes on to claim that, you know, he looks like the grandpa type. He's an old man, white hair, pot belly, you know, just doesn't have the evil look that she has in her mind, I guess. So Mary gets into the van and now she meets Larry. And apparently she's tired because she falls asleep. Yeah, so not only does she get in a van, like, she hitchhikes, and then she falls asleep immediately, like... Oh, girl, This is oh, aggravating girl. to me a little bit, like... Yeah, this is aggravating to me on, I'm sorry, a little bit of her parents. Like, you didn't teach her to, I mean, one, not get in a stranger's car, but two, fall asleep? 
Yeah, I do think, though, in the 70s, it was kind of not out of the normal for people to hitchhike, though. That's true, I, I guess. it was a little bit more of a common thing. Yeah, different um, times, I guess. But, yeah, I know where you're going with it. <laughs> so, when I read that, I was like, um, how about new? Yeah, wow. Oh, Mary. Okay. Oh, so, when she wakes up sometime later, she notices that the signs are all going the wrong way. She tells Singleton, look. I know you're going the wrong way, and I know you know that too. So Lawrence pulls over to use the bathroom, and Mary notices that her shoe is untied. So she thinks to herself, look, if I'm going to outrun this old guy, I have to tie my shoe. Me, personally, I would have slid over, stole the van, asked for forgiveness later, yeah, be safe and sorry, and just got out of there. Yeah. My vibes are already like, okay, he's not taking me where he said. Take the van and go. Yeah, if you're having an uneasy feeling already and you're in a weird situation like this, I mean, I'm glad she was at least somewhat thinking about a plan, like tying her shoe if she has to outrun him. But yeah, if he's gone to the bathroom and, and you're having this weird secluded feeling. secluded area, so there's not like a lot of people around. Ugh. So I would have took the van called the cops, and then circled back to get him. Yeah. If he was legit who he says he was, he'd be there. Right. Know? Oh, God. So, but instead, she gets out of the car, she kneels down, she ties her shoe, then bam, he hits her in the head with a sledgehammer, and she blacks out. Of course. When she wakes up, she's in the back of the van, and she's being raped over and over again. She says that she was raped about six times, and claims during this that she was begging him to stop and the police set her free and she promised she would not tell anybody that this happened. He refused. He kept raping her until morning. And at one point, um, she prayed to God just to let her die for it to stop. This, this is heartbreaking. You're like two minutes in and my heart's broken. That Oh my gosh. So at this point... Um, the sun is up, and now it's morning. Lawrence says, okay, you want to be free? I'll set you free. And he grabs a hatchet out of his toolbox, and with one swing, he takes off her left arm. Stop. Mary begins to fall, and she's in so much pain. She falls over. Blood is squirting out of her shoulder, whatever is left. And, again, she's in a horrendous, excruciating amount of pain. Lawrence walks over and tries to take her right arm, but she's fighting him. So she's putting her arm out, and she's now fighting back. She's kicking. She's screaming. She's hoping anybody can hear her. Um, But he swings, and he hits her in the arm. But because she's fighting back and putting up a fight, he has to chop it multiple times to get this arm off because... She is fighting back. Now, (laughs) both arms are gone, and yet she still feels her hand on his wrist. And she's like, I don't understand. She's putting up this fighting. She's pushing her wrist. And she looks up, and her wrist is still on his, her hand, I'm sorry, still on his wrist. And he's flinging his (gasps) arm, trying to fling her hand off. Meanwhile, both her limbs are gone completely you guys if you could see my face right now i'm in utter shock as yeah. i'm sure the same as your faces uh at i home listening. Like, oh my gosh. so i've yeah. heard that though by the way um that like when people 
get their limbs amputated. I mean, not in the way that she has. Like, I'm talking medically. Um, they can, it's like phantom limbs, I think it's called, where they still feel like they can move it and, like, feel like they're moving it, but it's actually not attached. So like I think it's just, brain like, the brain. Still, yeah. Yeah. So, now, Mary's not moving. She's laying on the ground. Lawrence feels that she's dead. So he picks up her body and he throws her off a 30-foot cliff. Girl. And breaks four of her ribs on the way down. This is getting crazier and crazier every second. How is... Okay, yep, keep going. Wow. So, Mary is cold and she is tired. And yet she's still alive at the bottom of this cliff. She ain't a quitter. And... She just wants the pain to stop. She's just so tired. But in her mind, she's saying, I cannot go to sleep. I cannot die. If I die, he will do this to somebody else. So she somehow packs both of her arms where they were uh, chopped off at and puts mud and dirt into them to stop the bleeding. So it took her all day. Um, until dark to climb back up the 30-foot hill with no arms. She claims that she thanks God for the moon and the stars because that was the only light she had to guide her up the hill and back to the main road. Mary makes a stop, makes it to the top, and finally she sees a car. She tries to stop them and... As they get closer, they see her standing there with no arms. She's covered in mud. She's covered in blood. And they say, yes, screw that. And they drive off, leaving her there. Oh, my gosh. That's so sad. So she's feeling defeated. Like, I am going to die here. Like, Oh, my gosh. So she starts walking. And I think it's at around three miles or so, give or take. And as she's walking, another car comes by. And it happens to be a couple that is on their honeymoon, and they are lost. They pass by her, and this time the couple stops. They wrap her up in a towel. They get her to an airport where they can call 911, and they airlift her immediately to a hospital. Thank God for them. Like, thank God for people like that out there who will stop to help someone, I mean, in... I mean, that condition, but even, like, less condition of that. Oh, my gosh. It's just crazy. So, Mary would go on to generate a detailed composite sketch of the description of her attacker and would be recognized by none other Larry's next-door neighbor. Mm. So, you know, you were sitting there watching TV. Hey, that's Larry from next door. Yeah. Could you imagine you you see your next door neighbor, like his sketch, and you're like, no, that's him. I 100% know that's him. And they're saying all these awful, like excruciatingly awful things that he did to this young girl. Like, that's horrifying. Oh, absolutely. (sighs) So obviously they call it in. Yeah. And he is arrested and he gets put on trial for his attack. Um, So, six months later, they're in court. Mary is staring at the attacker in court where she has to testify against him, which she does and successfully (laughs) puts him behind bars. Good. Unfortunately, back then, the maximum sentence he could get is 14 years. I'm so sorry. Wait, what did you just say? Yeah, the judge goes on to say that 
Um, the only reason why he's getting 14 years because I can't give you more by law. So he gave him the full amount he could give him, but all he got was 14 years for that. I'm so glad that the laws have such changed since then because that is horrendous. 14 years for, I mean, raping multiple times and then chopping off her limbs and then throwing her down a cliff. He was obviously trying to murder her. Thankfully, he was not successful, but, like, 14 years, ugh. Yeah, the judge said, you know, I would send him to prison for his rest of his natural life if I could. Yeah. So now this part I find a little screwed up. Um, Mary had to walk by him, and I don't know why they wouldn't take him out of the court and then let her go. Like, But literally, she had to walk past him enough that when she walked past him in the courtroom, he whispered... I will finish the job if it's the rest of my life. If it takes that long, I will kill you. Dude. So, obviously, that knowing that he's not going to be in prison the rest of his life, him saying that to her, this is just all a bunch of fuckery. Yeah. I got to say, and the fact that she would probably be living in a scared shadow for a very long time. Yeah, I mean, she would feel somewhat safe for the next 14 years. But that's a very small amount of time in a 15-year-old's life. She has so many more years after that to be terrified. Yeah, Tommy got out. She'd only be 29, 30 years old. That's, that's horrible. Oh, my gosh. So, Mary would go on to win a civil judgment of $2.56 million in a civil case against him. However... She did not get to collect it because he didn't have shit to give her. Piece of shit. I'm telling you. Sorry, oh this one gosh. gets me a little heated. So. Yeah, this is... She got nothing? No. And so... Is that how... I'm so sorry. Is that how that works, like, today, too? If the criminal has no, like, um, money or anything to his name, they don't get anything? I don't believe so. <sighs> wow. Um, unless you sue, like, the state or, like, yeah. I don't know how that works. I, we would have to research all okay. that. Okay. Oh, sure. my gosh. It's horrible. So, Mary and the public were understa- understandably very upset over the sentence and feeling that it was too short, it was unjust, and just, yeah, I just couldn't believe the way it went, but... Um, this would lead to <laughs> some more crazy stuff. So you would think that um, this would be the end of the story. Yeah. It's not. Mm. So um, he goes on to, while living in Sulphur Springs, Florida... After he gets out, um, after only being nine years in prison, he murders Roxanne Hayes in 1997. Hayes was a 31-year-old mother of three. Singleton was arrested at the scene, covered in blood, after a neighbor called to report the assault. Um, Mary Vincent chose to testify in court against him again, sharing what happened with her, um, that happened nearly 20 years earlier. Wow. Or 
give or take. Um, so, yeah, he's just a really big piece of shit. Um, yeah. He ends up going to prison, and he didn't even get his full term because he died of cancer instead. <sighs> so, I mean, yes, he died of cancer, yeah. but... Um, she'll go on to say that it didn't validate her really, like no, yeah. knowing that he died of cancer. Um, she didn't get to figure out like why, why did you do this to me? Why did you, you know? Yeah, I was fifteen years old. I was a girl, you know. I have to wonder like how many other people he may have done this to, and they just didn't know. Like, you know, before her, he could have done this to people. Yeah, I don't know. Today, though, Mary Vincent is an accomplished artist. She's got two sons. Um, She did an interview with Seattle Post Intelligence saying that she's a huge fan of Lord of the Rings and considers herself to be a hobbit at home. Uh, Vincent is open and honest about her trauma, saying that she struggled for years after the attack, but her art in raising the family helped her heal and grow. Back in 2009, she spoke at a crime victims event and shared a lot of her California artwork. You can catch the documentary of this, or it's not even really a documentary. I mean, I guess, maybe. Um, There's a TV series, and I watched it on Tubi, and then I watched some of it on uh, YouTube. It's called I Survived. Okay. And there's a whole TV series. I'll probably watch some more of them, but it talks about victims obviously who survived and if you want to hear the story coming from her it's her telling her story and you can catch it on you know some streaming services i've watched most of it on youtube um but it's a terrible story i'm glad she survived i can't imagine all the healing that she had to do to get back to where she is in life but it does sound like as of today She's doing what she loves and didn't stop her. Yeah. Um, obviously, she, you know, it did say she struggled with relationships in the beginning. I mean, how can you not? Right. But she does have two sons. So hopefully she's happy and healthy and not giving a single fuck about Larry and hopefully not thinking about him anymore. But I'm sure she does all the time. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine, like, obviously that situation like the trauma that comes along with it like physical physical trauma and emotional trauma probably more so emotional trauma like i mean yeah i think she's probably i hope she's not living in fear like looking over her shoulder having trust issues with people but i i wouldn't blame her if she did because i mean how horrifying and traumatic you know, and if they would have just gave him a stronger sentence, then, you know, Roxanne would have not have been murdered. Yeah. And I just, I mean, I'm glad, like you said, the laws have changed because there's so many things that could have prevented so many things, and there's so many what-ifs. Obviously, you don't want to go down that road. But I feel like had he had a life sentence like he would have got today, it would have prevented saving another life. Yeah, exactly. 14 years is crazy that they, that that was the maximum. I still am so blown away by that. Um, Because, yeah, like you said, Roxanne would not have died. Um, I'm glad that, you know, she could have stayed alive and um, go on 
trial for the Raxan case, um, just to, you know, solidify a, what a monster this guy is. Um, but yeah, wow, crazy story. Wow, oh my gosh. What you got for me? Yes. Um, okay. So my story that I will be sharing for the first time not only with you all listening, but with Lo for the first time too, is the mysterious case of the Jameson family. Um, so this case is not as shocking as Lo, the one Lo just told us. I don't know how many mouth drops she'll have. I had constant mouth drops during your story. I guess it's having the darker one. <laughs> oh my gosh, it was very dark. Um, this was just more on like the mysterious side, I'll say. <laughs> so we're kind of a uh, we're kind of taking a deep breath during my story. <laughs> no one's limbs are getting chopped off. Um, or are they? Okay, so <laughs> this case is definitely an eerie one and pretty weird too when you go over all the facts. Okay, so who is the Jameson family, you may ask? Well, they were comprised of Bobby Dale Jameson, who was 44 years old, Sherilyn Leanne Jameson, who was 40 years old, and Madison Stormy Star Jameson, who was six years old. Which, side note, what an awesome name that that little girl has. Stormy Star Jameson, or excuse me, Madison Stormy Star Jameson. I just thought that was a cool name. <laughs> it is. I like it. Stormy. I yeah. Stormy, I think. That's like Kylie Jenner's daughter name, and I thought that was kind of funny because I thought she was the only person in the world who had that name. But. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, they were seen for the last time on October 8th, 2009, before completely vanishing. The family lived in Eufaula, Oklahoma at the time of their disappearance, and they were last seen by a man who lived in like a cabin house in the mountains in southeastern Oklahoma. Uh, however, the man told authorities that he only saw the family in the area at that time and nobody else. Like, he didn't see any other party or participant um, with them. Apparently, the Jameson family initially initially went to this area to view a 40-acre plot of land that they were looking to buy. I guess their goal was to buy this land and then transport a storage unit that they they had used at their current property in Eufaula to live in, which is odd and possibly sad at the same time. Like it wasn't a camper or a tiny home type situation. It was just a straight up, straight up storage container unit, like a huge... Like the U-Hauls? Yeah, basically. So there was no kitchen, there were no bathrooms, no separate rooms, not even windows. Um, yeah, now I'm not sure if they like decked it out cool um, or if it was like a sleep on the floor kind of situation. Uh, but it's just sad that, you know, if that was all that they could afford to be their home. Now, on October 16th, eight days after they were last seen alive, the first major discovery happened in the case. Their car was discovered about a quarter mile away from the Jameson's last no known location by a group of hunters um, who were in the remote woods. The car was abandoned and still locked. Um, it was a truck, and inside of it, investigators found Bobby's wallet and cell phone, Sherilyn's purse, a GPS system, jackets, and then here's the extra weird part about it. They also found $32,000 in cash in a bank bag stashed under the driver's seat. And their pet dog, Maisie, was in the car, who was thankfully and surprisingly still alive, but very malnourished. I know, dogs. 
Now, Bobby's cell phone that they found in the truck, um, it contained a photo of his daughter, Madison, which was believed to be taken the day before they disappeared. That was kind of like the last thing they found on the phone, which is crazy. No interesting or weird conversations um, that took place during text. Uh, One key point in the investigation was that the truck showed no signs of any kind of struggle. So basically, it wasn't like someone tried to break into their car or it didn't seem like they were forcefully removed from the car against their will or anything like that. Well, yeah, they found $32,000 in it. Yeah, you would think if someone was trying to take them from the car, they would take that. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, so at this point to me, this isn't even, I, I, this isn't like a runaway type situation, I don't think, because they wouldn't leave all their important things behind, like their phone, wallet, and like, of course, that huge amount of cash, let alone their poor dog. At this point, going through the story, I just truly thought, you know, maybe they genuinely went down there to look at a property, brought their dog to probably run around there, and then maybe, maybe they brought all that cash in their car, I don't know, to buy the land with it right after looking at it. I don't know if they were meeting with somebody to look at this property or what, um, you know, or some variation of that. The former Vladimir County Sheriff Israel Beecham stated, I think they were forced to stop and get out of the truck to meet with someone they recognized. And I think they either left willingly or by force. The GPS unit in the truck indicated that the family had been further up Uh, by a nearby hill prior to the location where the truck was found. Um, Investigators followed the GPS coordinates and they actually found footprints right there. And one day later, on October 17th, over 300 people, including authorities and volunteers, all formed like a large-scale air and ground search party looking for this family. Um, They looked for hours and I think a couple of days and unfortunately all the leads went cold and the search for the Jamesons was called off. The case's second major discovery happened on November 16th, 2013, so nothing happened in this case for four years, which is so sad and crazy how people in disappearance cases like this, like their whole lives are changed and affected and Sometimes there just isn't enough evidence or clues to solve whatever may have happened to them. And it's just a giant mystery. So it's crazy that this took four years for even another clue to pop up. And for it to be a whole family that disappeared, not just a single person. Right, yeah. So this next piece of uh, evidence that was found on November 16th, 2013, um... Well, it was that a couple of hunters, they were out scouting for deer hunting locations, I guess, um, deep in the woods. And sadly, they actually stumbled upon the partial skeletal remains of three bodies, two adults and one child. The remains were discovered less than three miles away, um, 2.7 miles to be exact, from where the Jamesons had disappeared over four years earlier. So another search, uh, more so around the area where the skeletal remains were found, took place, and a few objects were uncovered. They found shoes, bits of clothing, adult teeth, an adult arm, and leg bone, and bone fragments. And sadly, as I'm sure you guessed it, uh, the bones were then eventually confirmed to belong to the missing Jameson family members. I know. 
Now, in my opinion, what is weird about this to me is that you would think they would have found these things in their initial search that they did four years prior, especially because it was only three miles away from where they disappeared. And I guess they did a five mile radius search. So the question like to me now is, did the search parties just not do a good job on going far enough out in their search groups or like not looking? Did they miss it when they were looking through all the foliage? Or did the Jameson's bodies and clothing not get there until after the initial search took place? In my opinion, I feel like the search groups would have totally covered that area. I mean, they did a five mile radius search, so they had to have gone in that, that area. I mean, or at least they should have. So there is a possibility that their bodies were moved after the first search, or maybe they were even still alive during the first search, but then died sometime after that, and then in the four years leading up to their discovery. I mean, either way, it's extremely sad that, you know, they did ultimately die. And so they had $32,000 in their car, mm -hmm. but they were staying in a storage unit? Right, that's where it's like you scratch your head and there's i'm gonna go over some theories too because um, i mean like even if they were having something built or waiting on something with 32 they could have at least got like a a no-tell motel or mm -hmm. some kind of just holiday in and pay for a week stay yeah not like a i don't know not storage container i'm not exactly sure um and neither were investigators at the time you know and their family and friends none of them knew about this thirty two thousand dollars they didn't know anything about it so the oklahoma state medical examiner um named joshua dr joshua lanter he took a look at everything found and he reported that the cause and manner of death were unknown i mean it's got to be so tough you know, when majority of the body is gone and it's only bone pieces and fragments that are left behind to try to put together what might have happened to them. I mean, obviously he can't tell if they were strangled or shot or poisoned or, you know, anything like they're knocked out because it's just their bones left. I mean, they partial bones, not even all of their bones. They don't think it was like a murder-suicide thing? Um, that is one of the theories. So, yeah. Well, yeah, that's definitely one of the theories. Good call. Um, okay. So, yeah. I'm just trying to think, like, how you take out a whole entire family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, I know it can happen, and I'm not saying it can't happen. Right. And then it's like, was was it somebody they knew and trusted and didn't think would kill them, and then... But then again, but not take any of their stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, <laughs> it's mysterious. I know. It's like, crazy um yeah lanter stated that there was no evidence of trauma though it couldn't be fully ruled out due to obviously the incomplete remains that were you know the only things available to look at um he also couldn't rule out disease and there was also evidence of posthumous damage by animals which really isn't surprising obviously because if they were killed or did die and their bodies were just left there it doesn't shock me that animals had eaten away at the remains and like chewed on the bones and stuff so I don't think that part's necessarily shocking to me. Um, now, Dr. Lanter's final report stated that the deaths occurred under suspicious circumstances. I mean, yeah, well, I'd say so. Suspicious. Suspicious. Um, some other items that are, you know, a little bit worth mentioning. There is a missing briefcase and 22 caliber handgun that is registered to Sherilyn Jameson. 
that were actually, neither of those items were ever found. So I don't know, did someone swipe them during whatever interaction that may have occurred? Um, yeah, they couldn't find those anywhere. And, you know, since the bodies and objects found can't really provide much insight for what happened to this family, let's let's get into, you know, let's talk about the family's background and, and some of the theories um, that investigators went over. Uh, you know, investigators needed to dig up the info that may provide any shred of evidence in this case. You know, who are these people? What did they do for work? Were they involved in any sketchy deals or weird hobbies or involved with drugs or the wrong people? Any indication from that could, you know, provide a whole new perspective on the case. All right, well, okay, spill the tea. All right. What's behind door number one? It's coming. It's spilling it. So some background on Bobby and Sherilyn, uh, just brief to go over. Neither of them were working at the time of their disappearance due to disabilities that they had. They were receiving disability checks. Bobby was on disability because of a car accident that he was involved in and something worth noting here is that Sherilyn's mother, Connie Kokatan, she stated that she didn't know of any settlement from the car accident that could have possibly explained the $32,000 in cash found in the Jameson's car. Um, and I think that police looked more into that and they couldn't, there was no settlement money or anything like that. So that's not where the money came from. Um, you know, like I said, she and nobody else had any idea where this cash came from. The former sheriff, Israel Beecham, stated while on the investigation that there doesn't appear to be any signs that the Jamesons were in, you know, any trouble in their life or, you know, it didn't seem like they were looking to go and start a new life anywhere. Uh, There was, however, security footage that was taken outside of the Jameson family home on the day that they left to supposedly go look at this property. It showed the couple, Bobby and Sherilyn, making several silent trips between the car and their home as they packed to leave. Now, I watched this security footage taken on the day they left, um, and I think the only word to describe it would be bizarre. Like, they were packing things up in the truck, like suitcases and things. Now, I don't know why they were really packing that much if they were just going to be going to, like, look at a property and then come back. Like, how long were they planning to be gone for? And that's not even the bizarre part of the video. The weird part was that they were moving like robotic almost. Sheriff Beecham described it as them looking like they were in some sort of trance. And they would even just stop a few times and stand there staring at each other or off into the distance. Like no movement or no talking at all. Just standing with their arms down by their sides and staring off like they were hypnotized or something. It was very... It's very eerie when you watch it. Um, I'll try to post it on our Facebook if I'm able to. Um, you can probably look it up online as well. But yeah, it's it's some bizarre footage. You think it could be like, um, I say like like addicts of some sort, like maybe they were on something. Right. Yeah. When I saw it, I that's. That's what I thought. I was like, maybe they are drug users and they're just kind of tripping out in this moment. I don't know. Because you said she didn't work, right? No, they were both on disability. So, I mean, if you're getting disability money and you don't work and he was in an accident, speculating, not accusing, Mm -hmm. but maybe he some way could have got addicted to pain meds. Right. And that could be a gateway to 
cheaper drugs because yeah. you can't get what you started on. Yeah. And... Yeah. I mean, that's for sure. That was definitely something that crossed my mind watching it. Like, I'm like, are they, you know, high on some type of drug right now? Or are they like, I don't know. It was, it's very weird. And I encourage you all and you to watch the video. We'll post it on our feed. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, on the other hand, I mean, to try and play devil's advocate and be realistic, you know, maybe they were planning on leaving their lives there behind and maybe they just stopped and were staring off because they were in deep thought about what was happening and how they were leaving the home behind and maybe it was like a sentimental thing. I don't really know. Either way, something was just kind of off and weird about it to me um, and to the investigators who watched the video as well. Um, and if they were trying to run away and leave town, why and like were people after them or did they do something bad? There's just so many questions that go into this case. And to not take everything you own. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I guess maybe they were, they were going to come back for it, but... Right, that's what I was confused about, um, that I couldn't really find out, is how long were they planning to be gone for this, to just go look at a property. I didn't, I don't know, they were packing suitcases, so it was... But she pulled out $32,000 in cash. That's, yeah, that's another part. It's like, there's something sketchy going on here. Beecham even said, normally you can go through an investigation and one by one start to eliminate certain scenarios. He said, we haven't even been able to do that in this case. With this family, everything seems possible. Um, so yeah, let's talk about some of those possibilities and some of the theories that they have and that they went over for some scenarios that could have happened to this family. The first theory they had was that the family simply got lost in the woods and died from hypothermia exposure in the days following the disappearance, the area um, that they were in. Now, the area where the Jamesons were last seen experienced heavy rains, but looking back at reports, it was not rains that were strong enough to cause their deaths, and at the time, the temperatures were, were like 40 degrees Fahrenheit at the coldest. So... I, they couldn't have killed them. Now, maybe I could see this theory of them, you know, getting lost while walking around, but why would they leave their car and everything they would need, especially the phone and GPS to use if they planned on walking around? I don't necessarily think I'm convinced uh, with this theory. And that seems cold to stand a storage unit. What? You said it was like 40 degrees? Yeah, it yeah. It's kind of cold to try to stay in a unit. Yeah, I don't know. They didn't bring their unit at that point. The unit oh, okay. was still at their um, previous home location. Okay, sorry. I guess I'm, I missed the stuff there. No, no, you're good. But yeah, they were just going to the plot of land to check it out, to okay. possibly purchase it, to then bring their storage container there. Uh, but yeah, either, cold either way to like stay out there all night. But yeah, I don't know that I believe that theory, because why would they just... I mean, I guess if they got out to look at the plot of land and then started walk, walking around and then got lost and then just died. But why wouldn't they bring their dog to walk around with them? Like, what's the point of bringing the dog if you're not going to walk around with it then, too? And, I mean, they could have found a phone or had a phone to call somebody. Like, Yeah, they left it in the truck. That's what's weird is, like, if they did go to walk around, why wouldn't they bring it? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that that theory... Uh, it sounds like they were... Some way, somehow, either 
little maybe mentally off, whether it's drugs or not, but I don't know. I'm getting the vibe that there was some kind of weirdness that Mm -hmm. was making them not make the smartest choices of life. Yeah, something definitely bizarre was going on. I agree. I agree with you on that because it just seems too, all too weird to just have played out like that. So the second theory that they had was that the Jameson's death could ultimately have been a murder-suicide scenario like you had mentioned. Uh, The investigation actually found a suspicious letter that according to one report was 11 pages long and was found in their abandoned truck. The letter was described as a hate letter. It was written by Sherilyn to Bobby, where she accused him of being a hermit. Um, Another letter was also found um, in the family, like their old home, uh, the original location that was said to mention death. Um, Sheriff Beecham even says, quote, they were certainly a family obsessed with death. However, Sherilyn's mother has repeatedly stated that Sherilyn and Bobby were good parents with a good relationship. Her mother says, like I said from the beginning, I think somebody killed them. There's just no way that Bobby and Sherilyn would have ever let happen anything happen to Madison unless something had been done to them. This one is interesting because obviously, I mean, obviously they weren't a thousand percent happy in their relationship because Sherilyn took the time to write multiple letters, especially one that was 11 pages long. I mean, you got to be super angry to spend the time to sit and write 11 pages of what you don't like about your husband. But at the same time, the worst thing she said was that he was a hermit. I mean, like, dang, I'm sure if he was a hermit, actually, it had to be rough, you know, if she wanted to go out and do things, see people, see places. But I don't think that's really a reason somebody would murder someone. And also, why kill your daughter in the process, too? And I mean, we're obsessed with death, so... Yeah, like, we talk about it every week, so... (laughs) I mean, maybe we're just not there yet. (laughs) Maybe we're still in our prime. Scary thought. (laughs) Um, Also worth mentioning is that Sherilyn's mom, who said, you know, no way to this theory, she actually had lived with them for a while, so I feel like she would have known, she would have known if there were, like, major issues in the marriage. I don't know, this... One is still a little too far-reaching for me. The only way, in my opinion, that this would be true is if one of them were actually having, like, a mental breakdown or, like, drugs or some something of that sort to go to the lengths of a murder-suicide. Okay. On to theory number three. Now, brace yourselves because this one will sound random and will come out of nowhere. This theory was that the Jamesons were murdered by Bobby's 63-year-old father, Bob Dean Jameson. Earlier that year, in 2009, about six months before the family disappeared, Bobby had filed a protective order against his father. Allegedly, Bob had threatened to kill Bobby and his family on two separate occasions. In November 2008 and April of 2009. Like, whoa, plot twist. Uh... (laughs) And in the petition that Bobby filed, he didn't really detail exactly how his father had made these threats, but he did say that his father hit him with his vehicle on November 1st, 2008. Uh, You know, yikes. So that's definitely a rough relationship there and a major suspect to add to the list. Bobby also wrote in the petition that Bob was a very dangerous man and thinks that he is above the law. He had been involved with prostitutes, gangs, and um, meth. 
But, I mean, to take out his grandkids, too? He threatened to, I guess. Wow. Yeah, he threatened to kill Bobby and his family. Twice, apparently. Um, so, also, Bobby stated in the petition, my entire family is severely scared for their lives. I am in fear at all times. Testimonies were given in court for this, um, but the judge actually dismissed the protective order on May 18th, 2009, and Bobby was also, at this time, in the process of suing his father, which was, basically, it was about how Bobby would sometimes work for free at his dad's gas station, where half the sales had been promised to Bobby, but were never paid. Though Bobby and Sherilyn had been described as scammers by the former Sheriff Beecham, because I guess they had also previously sued three other people in 2005 after a car accident. And another thing, thing to keep in mind moving forward is that Bob Jameson, so Bobby's dad, his brother named Jack Jameson claimed that although Bob was disturbed at the time of the disappearance, he was pretty sure that he wasn't capable of being involved in that due to this, his um physical state i guess he wasn't doing very well so this one definitely adds up a little bit more to me uh there was a little more evidence or clues to back this theory up i mean his dad threatened before to kill the whole family and they were suing him at the time and he was a drug user who had already threatened and hit bobby with his car so who's to say he didn't kill them because of this lawsuit that they had against him um i don't know i mean the sheriff called Bobby and Sherilyn scammers, so maybe also someone else had a bone to pick with them for something that they did. I mean, it keeps getting somewhat more clear from the beginning to now in the story, but there's still so many um, unanswered questions that keep following. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I guess it makes sense that they're scared of Grandpa. Like, they would pick up and try to move quickly. Like, yeah. You know, if they were getting threats, you know, maybe I'd say Grandpa knew about the money. Yeah. But then he didn't take it. Right. Which, so, unless, yeah. you know, there's always the theory that somebody knew about the money. I mean, just because the one mom didn't, you don't always tell everybody, family or not. There are some things you keep private in your family. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't have that much money, so I don't know. But I don't feel like it would be anybody's business either how much money me and my husband have. Right, yeah. That I'd be like, oh, hey, by the way, you know. But then at the same time, I guess I I feel like, you know, why wouldn't I? You know, hey, mom, I won this lawsuit. I'm going to get this much money in pass. You know. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess it could go depending on how close you are with your family. Yeah, it could go either way. That's that's really true. But he could have killed them thinking, I'll kill them, leave everything for the search, the police, all the stuff that they're going to do, and then, you know, maybe he thought he would be, they would be left the money to the family. Yeah, maybe. Or he was going to leave it and then come back for it, but the they found it before he like there's too much of a wide search that he couldn't get back to get it so he was forced to, to leave it like yeah yeah or he didn't even know about the money and he was just i mean he constantly he twice threatened to kill the whole family 
And then they were also suing him, so maybe he was just real pissed and didn't even know they had money and he just want, like wanted to kill them. Or if he's into drugs and you said gang-related stuff, mm-hmm. maybe he hired a hit. Yeah. Maybe he was part of his gang that did it. And again, didn't know about the money, so nobody took it. Or was told, like, just take them out, do not touch anything else, do not... I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that's really true. I mean, because his brother had said, you know, I don't think he did it because physically he wasn't in a state to do that to them. But yeah, he could have hired someone that he knew with the gang that he was involved with of some sort to do something to them. I mean, that would have been easy for him to do. So yeah, I I don't know. It's so crazy. And that theory definitely... Um, sticks with me a little bit more than the first two. So did you say, though, that the bodies, they were found not near the car, right? They were three miles away, like about three miles. Okay. So eventually, because I was thinking maybe if they got killed not near their car, the whoever did it didn't know where their car was with the money in it. But... Sorry. Teenage sleepover. <laughs> Partying. Um, so maybe they wouldn't know where the car was, but I figure three miles is not that far to find it. Right. And the search for them, it didn't take place until eight days after they went missing. So yeah, there's a lot of missing links somewhere then. Yeah. I say maybe they, they killed them for the money, but they weren't where they thought they were going to be. Yeah. So then they didn't know where their car was and they're like, oh my God. Right. Yeah. I know. It's it's so crazy and my mind like goes in circles because it's like, well, what if this or what? If, there's so many possibilities that it's insane. So Bob Dean Jameson, Bobby's dad, he did die in December of 2009. So that same year that the family went missing. Jack Jameson, like Connie Kokotan, Sherilyn's mother, uh, they still believe that foul play played a part in the Jameson family's death. Now, the fourth theory, and this one is kind of a weird one. Um, it is that the Jamesons were murdered by a cult. I know, where did that come from? But this was indeed one of their theories. Uh, so Sherilyn's mother actually believed that they were killed by a religious cult in southeastern Oklahoma. She says the cult had a hit list that Sherilyn was on, which is crazy. And, you know, it might you might think it stops there, but there's actually uh, a little bit of, you know, support that backs her up on that. So the network Investigation Discovery, they aired an episode all about the Jameson family on an episode of their show Disappeared. After this aired, Sherilyn's close, fr- close friend, Nikki Sheenhold, she said that she received a phone call from an anonymous woman who told her that she was once in a white supremacy group that kept a book containing a list of people who had been problems for them. And sometimes this woman said that if she could remember the names she had seen on the list, she would go home and look it up on the internet just to see. And doing this, it led her to multiple missing persons report, including Sherilyn's. Now, this was an honest call, uh, so they couldn't trace the call. And her friend Nikki said that she really wasn't sure what to make of it. You know, was this just somebody watching the episode on TV and then calling to stir up trouble or was this actually like a thing where she was 
on a hit list uh, in a cult. A 1993 article found in Oklahoma in the Oklahoman, which was a newspaper, uh, stated that some cults have found a home in eastern Oklahoma. Though a U.S. marshal named James Webb said there hasn't been any activity in a couple of years. Now, kind of to go along with this a little bit, um, there it has also been suggested that the Jamesons were very into witchcraft. Apparently, a witch Bible was reportedly found in the Jamesons' home, and but Nikki Sheenhold said that Sherilyn bought the witch Bible as a joke. So she was with her when she bought this witch Bible, but she said she bought it as a joke. But their pastor, when um, he was asked by investigators, you know, he was getting asked questions. He actually said that Bobby had confessed to him one time that he had been reading a satanic Bible. Additionally, mysterious graffiti was found on their storage container in their yard um, after they were, you know, found disappeared. Um, one line read, three cats killed to date by people in this area. Witches don't like their black cat killed. Creepy. That was graffiti. Someone graffitied that on their container. That's so creepy. Like, maybe Sherilyn did buy this witch Bible book as a joke, but then maybe Bobby started reading it out of curiosity. I don't really know. Connie, Sherilyn's mother, who claimed this cult killing theory before her daughter's friend received that mysterious call, also reported some odd behavior from her daughter. She said that she became very illogical once she... She said, once she drove me to Oklahoma City and dropped me off on the street, she told me to get out of my car um, just randomly. They weren't having an issue. They were just driving, and she just stopped the car and, like, said very sternly, get out of my car. And so she did. I mean, so maybe this was, like, the illogical behavior, like her mother says, but maybe there was more to that story, and she was just acting that way for other reasons. It's really hard to say for sure. And it also, this theory kind of also takes me back to, like, the security tape of them, the day that they left where they seemed to be in a daze and acting kind of weird and robotically. Uh, so maybe that is what the kind of illogical behavior that her mom was talking about. Also, they had previously reported before they went missing, they claimed to have two to four ghosts in their house, I guess, and their pastor, Father Gary Brandon, even told investigators that Bobby Jameson had once called him asking about special bullets that could be used to kill ghosts or evil spirits. Like, you know, definitely contributes to the odd behavior statement because I don't think that there's such a thing. I could be wrong, but I don't think there's like a bullet thing that kills spirits and ghosts. Um, so yeah, this theory is wild. It's scary and it's just kind of all over the place. From what it sounds like, they were into some scary stuff because Bobby had had two conversations about it with his pastor, and they were confirmed to own this witch Bible, and the graffiti that was left on their storage container was also very eerie, mentioning witches as well. I mean, I'm not saying this theory isn't true, it's just so complicated. I just want to say congratulate, congratulations, because... I'm listening to you talk, and I'm taking a little bit of side notes, right? Yeah. And so far, we've touched on suicide, witchcraft, cults, <laughs> death, drugs, gangs by Papa, and possibly now ghosts. I don't know if there's a category this did not touch. <laughs> um, we get a little <laughs> deeper into the drugs on the next one, too. <laughs> I know. When I say there are so many different 
theories and scenarios and possibilities with this family that went missing. Like, I'm not even kidding because there's just so many different things going on with them that it's like, what is the reason? <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> What'd you think about the, the witchcraft thing? It was, um... I don't know enough about witchcraft to get deep into it. Yeah. There are um, quite a few people of friends of mine that are into it and have a lot of beliefs. And I'm learning. They're teaching me some stuff and I'm mm -hmm. talking to friends about it. So I really don't know a whole lot of that. Um, the ghost thing, I mean... <laughs> I had a Cardi B moment the other day, and it scared the crap out of me. Oh, my. My Alexa just started blaring Cardi B in the middle of the song. At night, I was alone. My husband was out of town. My best friend wasn't here. I was 30 seconds away from calling her and telling her to crawl in bed with me and sleep. My daughter was at a sleepover at a friend's house, so I just sucked it up buttercup and got my dog and said, Come on, you're sleeping with me tonight, extra close, and laid with my dog and just pulled the cover over my eyes and said, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. Your ghost likes Cardi B. Apparently. I kind of, I kind of like your ghost. Like, we have the same, I mean, you know, some Cardi B I could go without, but, you know, the song that it played, we have the same kind of, uh... Yeah, it started playing WAP in the middle. But the funny <laughs> thing is, like, I don't hate Cardi B, but it's not usually a go-to of my friend, like, song list. Like, yeah, like, it, it wouldn't be something that you just played that would just pop up. If anybody was to go through my playlist, it's usually, there's some country on there. But most of it is, like, 80s and 90s old school hip-hop or pop yeah. music. I mean, some new stuff, like, but... Most of the time, I'm playing old school stuff. Yeah, not no Cardi B. Uh, that's terrifying and kind of funny at the same time. Just that it was Cardi B, um, but I mean, I'm glad it wasn't like like some scary song or no, like and some it was scary loud. voice. Like I'm for it to, you know, stop playing from my room. I get up. It's at a volume that I wouldn't even listen to it at, and I'm walking to it, and it's just blaring. You know, the dangly thing in the back of my throat. Oh. And I'm just like, you know, I I'm, think it's funny, but I'm too scared to laugh. Yeah. And that's when I just, like, immediately text you, and I'm like, uh, SOS, but don't really come all the way here. You did text me, and I was just, I'm sorry, but I kind of giggled, and, but I know if I was in your situation, I would have been horrified. I would have been so scared. Yeah, and you told my boss the situation. I didn't which tell him you were scared, though. My best friend is cousins with my boss. So <laughs> I'm really actually surprised he did not give me some kind of crap making fun of me text on Monday morning when I went into work. That's so funny. Because he was over my house, but. I didn't tell him you were scared. I just said that that had happened. So maybe if I was like, Lori's terrified right now, then he probably totally would have texted you some uh, Cardi B I thought gift. Sure after you told me, obviously, I would have thought that he would have made fun of me because he makes fun of me for a lot less than that. <laughs> That's his specialty. <laughs> oh my God, I love that. I love that you shared that with our listeners as well. <laughs> Okay, 
so now on to our fifth and final theory. Like we talked about before, too, that drugs were somehow involved. All of the strange behavior from the Jameson parents could be explained by the influence of drugs. There were actually rumors that the Jameson parents were involved with drugs and that the family was actually involved in a drug deal gone wrong. Um, it was actually reported by the Oklahomian in an article on, in May 2010. Sherilyn's mother, who didn't believe that drugs were involved, said that the couple was in deep financial stress. So maybe the $32,000 had something to do with the alleged drug deal gone wrong. Because if they were truly struggling financially, like they wouldn't just have $32,000 in cash because um, that's not financially struggling. Um, also in the truck, it was just in the truck that they were driving. So obviously something shady was going on with that. Police initially suspected drugs after watching their home security footage of them, you know, acting strangely, but Sheriff Beecham said there was no evidence backing up the story that the Jamesons used or dealt drugs, yet he also stated that the use or dealing of drugs couldn't be completely ruled out in regarding their disappearance. Um, my mic just fell, so so sorry about that. <laughs> um, especially if they were doing some kind of drug dealing, like, why would they pack all their stuff and why would they take their daughter with them wouldn't they just leave her with her grandma i mean unless they were planning to leave town as soon as they got the drug money while investigating the disappearance sheriff beecham um, he has said that there are no suspects in the case he says a lot of investigators would love to have as many leads as we do uh, the problem is they point in so many different directions uh, this case is sadly still remained unsolved uh, hopefully one day those many leads that he talks about will somehow lead them to the answer of what happened to the Jameson family. But for now, it's really just a guessing game. Um, I do kind of see, you know, a big possibility with the drug dealing theory that would explain the $32,000 and then maybe someone killing them. But at the same time, like, wouldn't the person who killed them also take the $32,000? I guess that's the big question. The money is the lingering mm -hmm. of why. Exactly. Where did it come from? Why was it left? You know, and who killed them? Did they just die because of environmental circumstances? Um, did they kill each other? Or did someone else, was there an outside factor? There's just so many different things. Um, and hopefully one day it will be solved. But there's just so many different things up in the air right now that they just don't even have, like, a basis to go off of. Yeah, because I was even kind of thinking, like, if it was a drug thing, then maybe the parents OD'd. Yeah. But then the kids, like, I mean, I guess maybe the weather could have took the kids out. Yeah. Um, but you would, I mean, I don't know. The dog survived. Well, he was in the truck, so yeah, I guess I he was a that. little more protected, but... but but yeah, I don't know if the kids were old enough to know to maybe walk back. She to was the six, trip, you know, so they could yeah. have they could have got lost and turned around and yeah, you know, or just didn't know why mom and dad aren't waking up, so they just stayed there and then the weather got them. Yeah, I don't know. It's a sad story. Um, hopefully, one day they'll at least know why to give some of the existing family and friends some closure on it yeah um yeah exactly oh yeah it's a terrible story i know either i mean with any of these theories 
if any of them are the true reason, they're all really sad either way because it ended with a family dying. So, yeah, uh, that is the Jameson story. And, I mean, I hope you guys liked this with us doing these two uh, different stories back to back and hearing, like, our, like, reactions to each of our stories as well. Yeah, we may do it again sometime. We're just trying to, you know, change things up, keep it fresh, keep things, you know, expect the unexpected. Yes, definitely. Um, um, thank you for sticking with us. Yes, definitely. Um, make sure to tune in next week for a new episode. Check out our Facebook, Instagram, all at Horror, Wine, and Crime. Um, our website, horrorwineandcrime.com. And stay tuned for, uh, yeah, next week's episode. On that note, we got to go. Stay creepy. Bye. Bye. Bye.